Welcome to episode two of Deeply Curious. My name is Cody Jensen. My name is Sarah. And in today's episode, we're going to be just exploring things that we are getting deeply curious about. And I know one thing that I'm going to talk about is kind of the science of popularity, uh, specifically in music, because I think that's going to be intriguing to Sarah. But first of all, we want to let you guys know that this episode and every episode is sponsored by things that we love. And the things that we're loving this week for me is uh, Moment lenses, which are some external iPhone, or actually not even just iPhone, any phone. Mm-hmm. Um, they're lenses that you can attach to your phone to increase your photo game. And I recently got some of these Moment lenses and I wasn't for sure. I knew I could use them and I was excited about them, but there was one that is the fisheye lens that I knew was going to be like very much like a novelty, like just something that I had. I wasn't even really planning on having it in my backpack or anything like that. But then I kept it in my backpack just to see what I could do with it. And I ended up loving the fisheye lens specifically for inside uh, architecture photos. Not every piece of architecture because if it's very um, linear, very like clean lines, it doesn't really work because it warps everything. But I got some really awesome photos of like the Oculus ceiling and the Fulton Center ceiling and the ceiling at the Guggenheim Museum. Like these photos that I definitely would not have been able to get with my DSLR because I don't have a wide enough lens and also just my phone by itself. But I threw this like fisheye lens on and they look awesome Mm -hmm. um but also i have the 80 millimeter portrait lens which is super cool and the 18 millimeter wide which that's 18 millimeter wide is way more of a practical wide lens but i just i was not expecting to love the it was a pleasant surprise yeah yeah the fisheye as much as i did so i wanted to uh just throw that out there that that is something that i've been loving recently and you can actually get your own moment lenses by going to moment.codyjensen.com and if you do pick some up i would love to uh see what photos you're taking just tag me on twitter or instagram or whatever uh love to see what you're creating yeah what are you loving this week um i love love simon (laughs) (laughs) um so obviously the movie came out last week Mm mm-hmm And we went to see it on opening day, and I absolutely loved it. Um, But I did read the book, and the book is phenomenal. And I think that the the movie did a really great adaptation of the book, um, which I was... I mean, I think every book reader is always a little nervous about. I actually appreciate the differences between the books and the movies, but... I think most people want it to stay as true to the book as they can. And Love, Simon did a really good job of um, adapting the book for a movie. And so that's mine. Also, I Mm -hmm. cried like 12 times in the movie. It's just fantastic. Yeah, I really, I did not read the book, um, but I did go see the movie with Sarah. And I thought the movie was awesome. Yeah, it's a really, really great um, aware. It's like Mm self-aware and like is obviously including like it's it's all about inclusion and like telling people's stories that's it actually happening you know and um I just they but I don't they were self-aware of what they were doing um and it kind of has like the fault in our stars teen vibe which I really loved um it's funny mm-hmm. but also really sweet 
just I thought, fantastic. Yeah, I, I thought the, the love story just had like way more depth than like what you would kind of expect from a like a young adult like mm-hmm. teen movie. Yeah. But I feel like they the character development was really good. Yeah. And like it really took you on a journey. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was kind of like the visuals and like the way that it, it looked, it was very much like a young adult movie. Yeah. Like I, a Fault in the Stars vibe. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's like none of the, that type of look is not going to get Oscar nomination. Right. But I thought the story itself, if paired with like the cinematography of an Oscar nominated movie would be like a winner. Yeah, it's a fantastic story. I think Nick Robinson, who plays Simon in the movie, is an incredible actor. I'm mm-hmm. low-key obsessed with him. <laughs> and it just all around was really fantastic. Um, but I would suggest reading the book and then going to see the movie because um, I just think it was a really great ad- adaptation. Mm-hmm. So if you want to read the book Love, Simon, there is a link in the show notes uh, where you can get a affiliate link to Amazon, which helps us out as you make your everyday purchases. Okay, so I've been reading this book and it's called Hitmakers and it is by... Derek Thompson, and it's about the science of popularity in the age of distraction. And I'm only like a few chapters in, um, I think only like three chapters in, but like I've highlighted so much of this book just because it's so interesting to me. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be even more interesting and like, uh, I'm sure I'm going to find even more revelations Mm -hmm. and things as I read the next uh, three fourths of the book. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I just read this the chap this chapter on music, and if you guys didn't know, like Sarah is very much a music lover. Um, I'm obsessed. Yeah, which is why Sarah doesn't listen to podcasts very often. I I was gonna <laughs> say something about it, but then I was like, I'm on a podcast. I don't know if I can say. But the truth is, is that I don't listen to podcasts because it interrupts my time of listening to music like it it takes away from my time yeah so sorry podcasts (laughs) also one thing i forgot to mention earlier is we do not uh live in a recording studio we live in a studio in new york city so you're probably going to be hearing um a lot of honking and some background music some, some background noise uh because people are outside today it is warm so people are are out there and and enjoying their lives yes um basically what this book is about it's about popularity and why things go not necessarily even viral just why things even resonate with people why Mm -hmm. how hits are made so whether that's in music or whatever it's like like a hit product Mm -hmm. a like you know the iphone or you know just whatever and I was reading this book and it uh, it made me think about you and music and just but one of the things that I really found interesting is that it's talking about how in our brains mm-hmm. we have this natural like pleasure center for things that are repeated. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of in the beginning of the book, it started talking about how it took this like uh, class of like fifth graders or something and it started, it played them a recording of a woman talking and she was just like saying this sentence. But then at the end of the sentence, she said, I don't remember the exact phrase, but she said like, isn't it weird 
how something or let, let's just go with since I can't think of it. Let, let's just say she said, isn't it weird? Mm-hmm. But then after she ended the sentence with, isn't it weird? It repeated itself and she kept saying, isn't it weird? 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 Mm-hmm. And the they said as it kept going, all of, the whole class started to smile and then all started to laugh because that just that sentence, the same recording being repeated over and over again, started to turn into music for everybody. Okay. The, it's just like what happened when we were watching Good Mythical Morning the other day and Rhett was repeating. What was he repeating? Do you remember? It was two words. He was repeating it over and over and over and over mm-hmm. again. And then it they ended up switching. It like yeah. sounded like the second word was actually being said first. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. It's like, I, I don't know. It's like if you were to say like milk duds, milk duds, milk duds, milk duds, milk duds. I can't do milk say. duds, milk duds, milk duds. But then eventually like your your brain, you start sound, sounding like you're saying duds milk, duds milk. Yes. And like you're just clearly saying milk duds. Yes. Um, but that's not really what I'm talking about. More so like the how the brain it actually has two the the part of your brain that that processes music and the repetitive nature is a different part of your brain that actually processes language language and so it was talking about how people with brain injuries mm-hmm. um like or with alzheimer's or any you know different uh brain disorders like that mm-hmm. they forget how to use language and it talked about um I think her name is Gabby Gifford, um, the the politician who was shot in the head mm-hmm. and she survived, but she very significantly damaged her um, language center in her brain. And but they ended up playing like a song to her and she ended up being able to sing the song perfectly, every mm-hmm. single word of, to the song. And it was talking about how those are different parts of the brain and how for some reason like music and those repetitive things like are able to stick i think they've done um studies or conversations about um music with um autism and things like that Mm -hmm. because autistic uh kids typically can sing and play music or respond better to music than they do speaking right that's interesting um so we got off on a few tangents there, but the, the main point that I'm trying to get to is that the book was talking about music and how musical hits are made. And it was specifically talking about pop music mm-hmm. and how if you think about pop music, generally pop music is the same mm-hmm. um, as far as structurally. You know, it goes like verse, verse, chorus, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, bridge, or you mm-hmm. know, whatever that specific like yeah. structure is. That's, that's pretty much how all pop music works. But it was talking about how the way that hits are made or the way the thing that makes us love certain like songs is the fact that there is a segment of it that is familiar, the familiarity of it combined with the newness of it. There's a specific like a perfect formula of I already know kind of what this is and this is brand new to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's really funny is the things that we love the most are actually the ones that are the most familiar in our ancient brain, basically like our subconscious brain loves everything that is this, that is the same. Mm-hmm. It loves every, anything that's repeated, anything that we already know, anything that like tells our brain, like, I know what that is. Um, mm-hmm. I, I recognize it. Like that type of stuff, our subconscious brain loves, but 
our conscious brain fights against that because of the culture we live in, basically. And it says, wait, I've already heard crap like this before. I don't mm-hmm. like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we like go try to find... Is that how your conscious yes, brain Yes, exactly, it's, always, it's always talking like that. I don't like yes. it. Yes. <laughs> um, I really like this paragraph. Um, and it kind of sums up exactly what I'm saying. Okay. Um, people find things more pleasurable the more times you repeat them, unless they become aware that you're being repetitive. People want to say, I'm not seduced by repetition. I like new things. But disguised repetition is reliably pleasurable because it leads to fluency and fluency makes you feel good. Interesting. So that was kind of like what I was talking about. It's like people, Mm -hmm. their brains love the repetition, but our subconscious, like if we become aware of it, we want to reject it and Mm -hmm. be like, no, like I, I'm cooler than this. Mm -hmm. What made me like interested to talk to you about it or the reason it made me think about you is because I find this so often with you is that you only love to listen to music that you've already heard before. Whenever I put on new stuff that I really like or an album or anything like that, you're like, can we change this? Yeah, because, and so I've been trying to figure this out for a long time because I, I do, I love music so much and I, I love discovering new music. Some of my favorite music in the last couple years has been music that I've accidentally found or that you accidentally found and then showed me like the 1975, um, the last couple years been like got into Bon Iver and you know, things like that, but I can't seem to move on from those. Like mm-hmm. I, every time I turn on music, it's, it's the songs that I know that I love, that I love, that I love. But I also love discovering new music. Like for example, this week I discovered, um, Vance Joy's new album that he put out last month and it's phenomenal right I I'm obsessed with it but it's like not I just don't gravitate toward new music and I I was thinking that part of it is um my personality type because I like to like I'm an Enneagram type four and I have read a lot um, from like Ian Morgan Cron's book and stuff about how fours like to um extend like emotions that they feel comfortable in and so they'll like put on certain music that they know kind of uh, stirs up certain emotions for them so that they feel like themselves so I was thinking maybe it was that a little bit that I just I tend to um, listen to the music that I know will stir certain emotions in me but that makes sense too, because I feel like Vance Joy's new album is very similar to the other music that I always listen to. So maybe it is that. Yeah, because the even Vance Joy has he has that, that specific like vibe vibe. Yeah, it feels familiar, but it brings some newness to it. Right. That is maybe the same. it is that. That's fascinating. I'm learning so much about myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like I made a playlist this week. Um, yeah. that I knew I made it's and I love it and it's play it's a playlist of songs that are more emotional I guess or basically more vibey yeah it's it's what I personally call like happy melancholy um I love that I'll, I'll take that descriptor <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like if you've ever heard well basically I would say the it's kind of the bony Vare vibe yeah, bony Bear. but um, the one like the specific like somebody i think that embodies happy melancholy to a t it's mm-hmm. exactly how i would describe his style of music is tom rosenthal mm-hmm. which he's not like 
a popular artist um, by any We means. discovered him through Adrian Bliss's YouTube. He yeah. wrote all the music for his Vloon series and stuff like that. Which, if you want to talk about things we love, oh highly recommend. Adrian Bliss, I am obsessed. I would say that Adrian Bliss is would probably my favorite YouTuber. Yes. I would, I would 100% say Adrian Bliss is my favorite YouTuber. I wish he would do more series. Yeah. Um, because he is just so self-aware and dry sense of humor. So funny. Um, yeah, if you want to know like what just, we think is funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> watch Adrian <laughs> watch Bliss. Watch Adrian Bliss. I've re-watched Vloon. I don't even know how many times. Yeah. It's, I love it. But Tom Rosenthal wrote all the music for it. Yeah. And it is that perfect like happy melancholy. Mm-hmm. But anyways, what I was saying is I made a playlist of those types of songs. And like it was easy to make the playlist because... I didn't even have to listen to, like, as I was finding new music, I didn't even have to listen to the whole song. I could just, like, skip to the middle, and I felt the vibe, and if the vibe was familiar Mm -hmm. to what I already knew, I just added to the playlist. Mm -hmm. There's one song in particular on that playlist that I had never heard of. I've never even heard of the artist, but right when it came on, I was like, this sounds like Sleeping At Last. I love this, and I didn't even have to listen to it. I just knew that I liked it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's crazy. Um, one thing that I thought this, this part of the, the chapter is like so funny to me. Um, and also just like really, I don't know, it's very, very interesting, but then it's also just hilarious. Um, so he was talking about how in before 1991, the billboard, um, top 100, there was no actual way to measure popular music. Um, Hmm. it was all self-reported by radio stations and by like, uh, record stores Mm -hmm. and so record stores and radio stations alike were not uh incentivized to actually accurately report what was sold because Mm -hmm. record stores didn't want to actually say um i don't know what is was popular before them let's just say like the new tlc album or something like (laughs) the new tlc album is sold out in their store so they didn't want to report that it was sold out because they didn't have any more to sell if they reported that it was sold out people would come in looking for it they don't have it so they would rather say that this other album is more popular because they have stock of it and that's that's sketchy and what's what's crazy is like they basically created the um market system that we have even to this day of turnover and how the just like with fast fashion and everything else, they wanted to make sure that we were churning and burning through this mm-hmm. stuff. Like the most popular song that was last week is no longer the most popular. We want a new mm-hmm. um, album to be the most popular because we want people coming into our stores every single week buying mm-hmm. new albums. Mm-hmm. And that changed in 1991 where they actually were able to partner up with Nielsen and um, they like had this new technology that was able to actually measure what was being played on radio stations and what was being purchased. And so in 1991, Billboard ditched this patchy honor system and started collecting point of sale data from cash registers. This was revolutionary. We were finally able to see which records were actually selling. This had two major implications. First, Hip-hop surged the rankings while old-fashioned rock slowly began to fade. Perhaps an industry dominated by white guys hadn't paid enough attention to the music interest of minorities. Hmm. And then in the footnote it said, which is ironic, since pop music's gatekeepers in the 1950s initially considered rock and roll jungle music, and by 1980, powerful white men were protecting a genre that the previous generation of powerful white men considered a threat. Wait. So... 
it's saying that in the 50s, whenever rock and roll yeah. and Elvis and everything, yeah. they were like, his hips are going to, oh, yeah, his yeah, hips yeah. are conjuring the devil. <laughs> and they were like trying to protect yes. the world, you know, old, powerful white men. And they were trying to protect the world from rock and roll. Right. But then the next generation loved rock and roll and they were trying to protect the next generation from, from hip hop. And so, so the white people were protecting people from rock and roll. And then the white people were protecting people from hip hop right. to protect rock and roll. Yeah. So, so that sentence again was by 1980, powerful white men were protecting a genre that previous generation of powerful white men considered a threat. Yeah. And it's crazy because as soon as the actual data was being used, hip hop surged. Mm -hmm. And, um, what is another like interesting thought on that is, is it's talking about music in markets where popularity matters information is marketing when music listeners learned how popular hip-hop really was it made hip-hop even more popular right because they were like oh this is cool music i have to listen to it yes because we're so influenced by what other what people other like people like yeah and so it like was a cycle of other people like it now i like it but then as you listen to it more repetition, yeah. you actually start to like it. Right. And so and then the more music right. comes out in that genre, the more you listen to it. Exactly. Interesting. So that made me think about what they're saying, how there's like a perfect balance between familiarity mm -hmm. and newness mm -hmm. and how artists that we love come out with new albums. Right. And they come out with new albums. And if it is to the same, we're like... Oh, it sounds the exact same as their old album. Mm -hmm. There's nothing new here. Mm -hmm. But then if it's a little bit too different, we're like, it doesn't sound anything like them. Prime example is Mumford and Sons. Mm -hmm. That happened to them. Their first album, Sigh No More, came out and it was phenomenal. Everyone loved it. Second album, um, Babel, came out. And the, the critics, people, I guess, in general, just bashed it they were like this sounds exactly like the first album you haven't done anything new or revolutionary or whatever um so then they came out with their third album and it was a little more rock like less of the banjo folky sound and a little more rock and everyone hated it <laughs> they're like this isn't mumford and sons I was like, okay, but you just bashed them for doing what they do, mm -hmm. and now you're bashing them for trying something different? I don't understand. <laughs> it's like they you have to walk that line yeah. and figure out that perfect formula mm -hmm. of like, this is just enough of what the last album was, mm -hmm. but just enough of what the new stuff is. Yes. And it's kind of like the journey that Taylor Swift has been on uh -huh. and how she didn't go from speak now to... Red or not, to not re reputation. Yeah, she didn't go from speak now to reputation. Yeah, she went speak now and then like red and then 1989 and then reputation. And like each one of those was a, a little bit of a the last step. album, yeah, and a little bit of the new. But I think that the problem maybe with the new album is that she went a little too far on the newness, maybe. But what, what one thing that I was thinking about when I was thinking about Taylor Swift, but I was just thinking about new albums in general, how most of the time. Through the first listen, mm -hmm. it's like I was okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like you, you're just, like, oh, it's not like I, I listen because I like this artist, but like mm -hmm. you know, it's it's not as good as the last one or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then you listen to the second time and you're like, that was, that was good. Mm -hmm. Then the third time and the fourth time and then like you find yourself singing every song mm -hmm. and then you start dancing to it and then you're like, I love this album. Yeah, and it's like that rep, you, rep 
reputation that <laughs> that reputation Rep- repetition, repetition. <laughs> um, you like it starts to signal those other parts of our brain right. that are like you love this because right. you know it it's it's a little bit of familiarity mm-hmm. that's really interesting it it reminds me of going back a, a little bit um i just read an essay by zadie smith from her new book that talks about it was she was specifically talking about Joni Mitchell and how uh, she hated Joni Mitchell until all of a sudden she realized she was humming Joni Mitchell and then she loved Joni Mitchell and now she can't not love Joni Mitchell. Mm-hmm. But what she said in there was that we want our artists to stay frozen in the time that we love them, mm-hmm. but our artists want to move. And so, wow. which I thought was like a really interesting insight, um, especially to like what we're talking about, like finding that really thin line of, of newness, but familiarity and, um, just like allowing the artist the space to move and create whatever they feel like they're supposed to be creating. Even if it's not your vibe, like, you you know what I mean? I just, I don't really know. It reminded me of that. Yeah. And that that applies to like, not just music, but to every creator ever. It's like, even with us and like, as YouTubers, it's like, there are going to be some people that as we evolve or if we change right. our format or right. whatever, even adding a podcast or whatever, there's some right. people who are like, man, I, I like their old stuff. I li- yeah. like, I, they're much better like whenever. And it's like, cause it's new. Right. Um, it's because the thing is, is that people are people right. and we are all living life and you're not one person from the time you're 18 till you die. You are 10, 12, 15 people. And so you're creating whatever that is is going to change based on who you are in that moment. Same with music, same mm-hmm. with artists, like as just is how it is. But as someone who like consumes their art, the reason you fell in love with them, you want that to stay the same. But the problem is, is that it can't because they're not always going to be that one person. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was really interesting. And you also don't like we just talked about with the albums, you you actually don't want them to stay the same. No, you don't. Because if they come out with a new album that is the same, right. you're going to be like, oh, this is just like more the if, same. If Taylor Swift had stuck with country, we wouldn't have 1989. Now, Which some people would probably be like, hallelujah. Right, <laughs> but I feel like Red and 1989 are the best albums Taylor has ever created. And I know like Red was a little like tumultuous in her personal life and she doesn't ever want to create an album like that again i get it but i mean we wouldn't have those if she didn't evolve you know i just feel like it would be a a little bit of a more of a sadder world if we didn't have welcome to new york Mm -hmm. you know like i don't know it's also crazy like it just goes to show that literally everybody because our brains are wired to hate change. Everybody hates change. Mm-hmm. Like even if we, some people like love, like their personality, their outward personality, like ultimately they, they enjoy changing and they like, like, like new like things. Change. Like, and so do I. But at the end of the day, there's no, we do all are attracted to familiarity. Right. Well, it's just like too much change at one time is overwhelming and our brains don't really know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. It's the same. Like if, I guess maybe that was Mumford's problem. It is like, they went from folk to rock instead of the in-between, whatever right. that is, you know? I also wonder, though, if, like, it, some of those, it's not even about 
the artist it's about culture as a whole mm-hmm. that there because that that year those couple years that mumford was like they dominated. on top yeah. was because almost all white people loved folk music mm-hmm. at that moment it I was mean, like the lumineers were the same yeah way. it was like I'm, dominating like yeah. that genre was like at its peak and there were so many um artists who were like in that same you know they all played at a uh, gentleman of the road together right <laughs> and it was like but then maybe all of society moved on to mm-hmm. like this new genre and they all got left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that is actually what happened because they, I mean, Mumford tried to change their sound and maybe they just went in the wrong direction maybe. and didn't add in some electronic like maybe. noises because that's where the world ended up going. But but also I think that also brings up the argument of like you shouldn't create things just because the oh, world yeah. wants it. You For know, sure. like there's, there's also, I mean... Something to be said for staying true to your art, whether it's popular or not. Right. Um, I mean, that's what we try to do with everything as well. Right, right. It's like, if you don't like what we're doing, then don't watch it. Like, right. I'm not going to change what I'm doing because of you. Right. Like, this is the art that I feel called to create. I'm going to create it whether the world likes it or not. Yeah. So much plays into the creation of art, whatever that art is, whether it's music or painting or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But music, I think, is really evident. I wonder, does that mean, okay, so when you're listening to music, it employs two parts of your brain, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's the sound, repetition, and then there's the words, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think if... Because, like, the words in every song are different. Like that's always new. Right. I think it depends on what you were doing. Like if you were sitting there and like, I don't have any science to back this up. This is my theory. Um, (laughs) I think it's like, if you were listening to the song and trying to understand it, Mm -hmm. like, and you were listening to it as like an audiobook or a poem or something. And you were like deciphering and like trying to understand it, that would use a different part of your brain than just listening to the song. Absolutely. And What's interesting is like the songs that are based, what you were saying about Joni Mitchell, how she didn't like the song until she found herself humming it later. It was talking about how the, those are the hits because they became earworms and they specifically like were designed to get in people's heads. And it gives example, like there are just, there is like this process in the brain that is for repetition and you you get in this, um, I forget what it's called, but it's some sort of like uh, repetition loop. And so, and you get annoyed at me I do. Yeah. all the time for this yeah. because I will be, I'll listen to a song or hear a song in like some department store. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like four hours later, I'm repeating the exact same line. It's normally like the chorus or um, like the pre-chorus uh-huh. that's leading up, but I can't get my, I can't remember how it gets out of it. Uh-huh. And so it's like, the same line building up, building up, and then I just repeat back to the same yes, line. Yes, <laughs> it is the most annoying thing, especially um, when the Olympics were on and there was that one commercial. Yeah. Um, um, what commercial was it? Was it? The, uh, it was the Walmart one where they were ringing the bell. Yes. Um, and the song was Ring the Bell, but I can't think of the melody of that song now. It was two lines of a song. Yeah, it was like... And he sang two lines of a song for... Three. I mean, that was the whole song. That was the only thing they played in the commercial. Yeah, that's not the whole song, though. There's more of the song. And you just, 
every single day for the entirety of the Olympics, saying those two lines of the song all day. <laughs> it was so annoying. <laughs> but yeah, that definitely happens to you. It happens to everybody. I don't feel like I do that. I feel like I, I mean, don't, you don't, don't sing it out like loud I... and annoy people like I do, but like okay, you, maybe that's it difference. gets stuck in your head though. Yeah, but I can't remember the last time a song got stuck in my head that wasn't from you singing one line of the song. <laughs> you know, I can't remember that. But it could be because I'm only listening to my music. I, I don't listen to the radio. I don't, you know. You know, what's another interesting thing it was talking about in the book is it was talking about Sweden mm-hmm. and how Sweden is actually the epicenter of pop music right now. Um, because all of the big time pop music writers, not necessarily the artists, so you don't actually know their names, have all ended up in Sweden because it was kind of like the start. And it was talking about um, how it's the same way how generally the same types of businesses end up forming or migrating to the same places like, like Silicon, Silicon Valley, Valley. Okay. and like yeah. different things like that. There's these industries end up building because it's like there is value in like being around the, the mm. same stuff. It mm-hmm. like ultimately brings everything up. And so for some reason that has happened in Sweden and like all of the big time pop music songwriters have migrated to Sweden mm. and it's like they have developed a spe- like specific pop music formula that Every song is different. It's not like the songs that they write for Adele and the songs they write for um, One Direction are anything alike. Mm-hmm. But they follow this general formula of like we were talking about mm-hmm. the just enough familiarity with just enough newness. And they they basically know how to write a hook that will get stuck in your head. They know how to write an earworm. Yeah. Here's the thing that I think this is fascinating. All of this like just enough newness with just enough familiarity there's a certain like structure that a good song you know whatever part of me wants to reject that though because that takes away the mystery and the magic of music Mm -hmm. which I feel like is really important to people and to me like that's why I listen to certain songs to evoke certain emotions like Part of me really wants to be like, this is all false and it sucks and there is no magic or there is no formula. It's just a good song is a good song. (laughs) Um, Let me read this line again to you that we started this, this off with. People find things more pleasurable the more times you repeat them unless they become aware that you're becoming repetitive. People want to say, I'm not seduced by repetition. I like new things. But I don't think <laughs> I don't think it's it's necessarily that I am like no I like new things not old things whatever it's it's the idea that there is science to writing a music that some that is going to evoke feelings into a person you know mm-hmm. it's like the idea that that like because I think you know whether it's you know bubblegum pop feel good whatever. Or something like Bon Iver that is much more, like, emotional. Um, I don't think it matters. There's some sort of, like, mystery, um, some sort of mystical, spiritual aspect to music. Like, you're writing something that is going to evoke emotions in a person and is going to make them feel understood or make them feel like they're not the only one, right? And so that feels more mysterious to me 
than just like, this is a good formula. Right. That's, it's too, I, I want to reject the science of that. <laughs> a <laughs> little the, bit. But the thing is, the thing is, because we live in a market dominated world. Right. You have to do both or you don't have to do both, but you can, you can just do you know, meaningless stuff that follows the formula and make a hit. But uh-huh. the stuff that like has deep meaning and it, you know, has a message to be told, it can break out and become a hit regardless of a formula or whatever. But there's tons of music mm-hmm. and more, right. more so like more music than is not. Mm-hmm. It sits, you know, with, with nobody listening to it, mm-hmm. even though it may be a great message, maybe even a great song, mm-hmm. but it didn't have a, a, enough familiarity to actually make it through and be mm-hmm. wild, widely known. But that's so interesting because does that, it, it makes me wonder like, how does it evolve? How do, how do new genres pop up? How do these like interesting, weird sounds happen that people love? Because if there has to be something familiar... Like, I don't, you know what I mean? How can someone just like, what if tomorrow somebody is born who just has like this weird taste in music and has to share it? And then like, you know what I mean? Well, I think that stuff like that can still make like it. there's like revolutionary I mean, things that Right, happen. I mean, it's kind of like, I'm pretty sure, I may be wrong on the composer here, but I'm pretty sure it was Beethoven. Like the, one of the original like uh-huh. composers like that, there's the story of how they played their you know, symphony or whatever it was. And it was so new that people literally went crazy and hated it. Like they rioted because yeah. of how new it was. Yeah. But eventually, I mean, it changed the world. So I guess maybe revolutionaries are just a little ahead of their time. I guess I, I like it half and half. I totally understand the familiarity with the newness because that's definitely how I listen to music and discover new music. But part of me wants to reject that science. <laughs> I mean, I think we all would want to reject it. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we all want to think that we are more than just like cogs Formulas. in some like, you know, industry wheel. You can't tell me who I am. <laughs> you don't know me. But one number that I thought was really interesting in the book, and I can't remember the exact percentage. So just, you mm-hmm. know, the, the, the ratio was about the same as this, but just um, I, I'm definitely not going to get this spot on. But it it said basically like the the top two percent of artists so the taylor swifts you know Mm -hmm. the the that yeah yeah. those the top two percent of music artists make 80 percent of the music revenue yeah that is insane but it it really doesn't surprise me because one i think the music industry is one of the most saturated industries out there um i mean it's notorious for not being able to make it you know Mm -hmm. in the music industry but then also does that include like concert tickets and stuff like that i mean i would assume so because i mean that's like because then that definitely makes sense like i mean obviously we've all heard like records don't make that much money um especially with the streaming services now um the vinyl's coming back because one we crave something physical but also um Artists love it because they make more money on vinyl than they do anything else. Um, so really, though, concerts are, are where it's at. Oh, so yeah. if you're like a Justin Bieber or a Taylor Swift or somebody like that, you're selling out mass, like the biggest venues and stadiums that you can be in mm-hmm. for hundreds, thousands of dollars, you know. 
that makes sense. I mean, you're going to pay way more to go see Justin Bieber than you are. I don't even know who. So, the, yeah, the, in the same lines, this they were talking about all of the guys in Sweden um, and this guy, Max Martin, and how they are the ones who have, like, you know, become become the most, like, big time songwriters they know how to write the hits and they mm-hmm. like come they're the ones that come up with this formula and they like it says they are legendary super producer uh responsible for dozens of number one singles by backstreet boys katy perry taylor swift um and you know all, all these other ones they they mentioned more later on but the thing that made me think about this is you know you're saying how like they're wanting to reject the mm-hmm. you know that structure they uh, that i am not part of the formula (laughs) yes exactly like they were kind of talking about that and how so a great musical hook is a great question with an answer that asks to repeat the question people like new and surprising melodies but when we feel like we can accurately make tiny predictions about how the song is going to go it feels really good Hmm. now i'm just trying to figure out if if i do that or not because i actually really hate figuring out an ending to something For example, like in books or movies, everyone's always like, ah, you could just tell what was going to happen. I can never tell what's (laughs) going to happen because I don't want to know what's Mm going to happen. I like the anticipation and the surprise. So now I'm just trying to figure out if that is true for me or not in music. I've never consciously thought about it. I didn't even know it was a thing. So I don't know. I don't. Because I I really don't feel like I, I approach things other than my life, wanting to know the answers, mm-hmm. you know? Obviously, I want to know where I'm going in life, but, like, a song, a book, a movie, any kind of art, like, I don't expect answers or anything like that. I like the anticipation. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I just don't want to be part of the formula. <laughs> I feel like I am I am more nuanced than that. <laughs> But you you say I feel like I'm more nuanced than that. But you love personality test and I do. You like figuring out who you are, and then you are ex- you're excited, but also angry. I understand. Like yeah. there's a little but, more to it. That, whenever you figure out, like, oh wait, this is me. This is me. But that's because I want answers in my own life, but not when I'm looking at art. I don't I don't want the answer. I think I think the beauty for me, the beauty of art is the questions and in music as well. Like I like. When people, I understand having like the, okay, I understand that, you know, kind of the point of art is to share in the hope of life and like, it's not all like obviously relating to people. And I think that it, um, kind of saying like, I understand where you're coming from. I feel that too, you know, like we're, you're not alone kind of thing, but then also obviously like celebrating the hope. Um, but I like when people are just like, I don't know, this kind of sucks, right? <laughs> like I, it makes me, that actually makes me feel more understood because sometimes, a lot of times we don't have answers and we don't want anyone to encourage us. We just want them to be like, yes, it sucks. I get it. I like those questions in art. So I just find it so, I don't know. I don't think I search for an answer or or like knowing the ending of something that's well but i think that's talking about like your conscious brain like your like your subconscious brain is desiring that it's like 
looking for those things. And like what we were talking about with earworms. Yeah. Like, I think there's a, sp- a specific like, th- like thing they talk about with earworms that really, I don't know, kind of sums that up. And it says earworms are like a keyhole into music's manipulation of times past and future. The earworm infested brain is stuck in a loop between repetition I want to remember how this goes, and and in anticipation, I want to know how this ends. The very entanglement, the pull of repetition versus the push of anticipation, defines the catchiest songs. And it goes on to say, when a song gets stuck in your head, it drives you crazy. But since the affliction is universal and timeless and self-inflicted, it must say something about our internal circuitry. An earworm is a cognitive quirl. The automatic mind craves repetition that is that the aware brain finds annoying like mm-hmm. we were just saying and as we uh, and perhaps the unconscious self wants more reputation repetition wants more of the old wants more of the familiar than the conscious self thinks is good i guess i have just never thought about music as conscious and, and subconscious so i don't know but i feel like that's not me <laughs> <laughs> of course you don't I mean, I don't think anybody wants to be, think of themselves like that, that, that they can be, that somebody can sit in a room and say, if we make it like this, if we're going to put it on the radio, we're going to put it out in the ether and Sarah is going to love this because we know that if we make her brain feel this way, she's going to be like, oh my gosh, this new Taylor Swift album is revolutionary and I love it so much. But you want to think that you stumbled upon Taylor Swift, some um, un, some obscure artist, and say, like, listen to the album and I be like... that about Taylor Swift. Right, but you just want to be like, oh, yes. man, listen to this. It's it's so revolutionary. It, like, changes the music game. I love it so much. It makes me feel X, Y, and Z. I do feel that way about the 1975. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people can say that because they're sort of genreless and kind of do their own thing. Like, they're obviously a little bit of pop... Um, a little bit of like melancholy, a little bit of all this stuff, right? And I do gravitate more toward the 1975. Like if I were picking a favorite band, it would be the 1975 because of that reason. Because I feel like they are revolutionary and they are genreless and they are just good at what they do. Maybe that says something about me. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I, I mean, I think about... You know, what we're talking about here is, you know, specifically in the book, it's talking about the hits, like the ones that are like top 40, they stay in the top of the charts for weeks and weeks and weeks on end because the masses all agree, like, we want to hear more of this. Um, Whenever you go like into the department stores and they're playing these songs, you like that, it makes you feel good, you understand it, like, it's nothing, it's nothing like, um, you know, like, playing a new Kendrick Lamar song, like, in a department store, where... It's very it's, different it's, than playing it, a Taylor Swift right, or an Ed Sheeran. It's very different than Ed playing... Ed Sheeran's Shape of You. Yeah. That's maybe a good example. Exactly. Like, playing, like, a song that has a very predictable, like, way it's going, is getting stuck in your head, like, the melody is, like... It, does. it like, is an earworm. Like, most of, like, Kendrick Lamar is, is not going to be that way. Right. It's not going to, like, get stuck in, like, this, you know, familiarity, right. repetition type thing. But, okay... Mm, and so okay. what I'm saying is, is that, you know, we're talking about hits in the top 40, right. you know, that type of stuff versus like artists that are obscure, 
or artists that, that like you relate to you know you relate to or whatever because even as big as like the 1975 is mm-hmm. they're not in they're not on the same level, level as Taylor Swift right. or something. Of, of like the hits. Yeah. Of the ones that like these guys in Sweden write for Justin Bieber and, you know, they put out, um, right. you know, his big like electronic hit that what, Brave, boyfriend um, or something. No. Isn't that well, one of their biggest, his biggest? That. What do you mean? Yeah. Is that the one? The one that came out before the album. Yeah. Oh, no, that wasn't what that. Oh, shoot. Don't remember. I liked it. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> It was like, it was a, a, a featuring like Justin Bieber thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like he was huge, massive mm-hmm. hit. Yeah, I guess that, yeah, I can understand. And I do like those songs. Okay, so is the is it, it's pretty much just about the pop genre then. Yeah. That, Specifically I mean, pop, top 40 pop music. That's, I mean. Yeah, right? I mean, that's that's kind of what we're talking about just because that's, that is kind of where the 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 book was like uh-huh. talking about is like popular pop music um but it can happen at, uh, across all genres yeah or it is a thing across all genres right it makes me rethink everything i knew or thought i knew about music <laughs> and like you li- you find a new artist and you're listening you're like do i like this because i like this I'm or do like- i like this because it sounds enough <laughs> enough familiar to what i actually like but also enough new i'm going to hate every music that comes out now <laughs> you'd be like they just want me to like this <laughs> you can't tell me what to do you can't tell me what to do <laughs> i like what i like because i like it not because you told me to not because you wrote a pre-chorus <laughs> that is interesting I think it's fascinating how our brains work mm-hmm. and how it's just so instinctive and we can't even really control it, even if we know about it. Right. We can't even control it. The Yeah. I mean, the brain is... It wants what it wants. It's fascinating. <laughs> hmm. Well, now I'm going to listen to every pop song that I know of that I love and see if I can find the, the uh, similarities. Another thing that was really interesting is they were talking about uh, Spotify. And you know how Spotify mm-hmm. has, like, the, you know, you might like playlist? Right. So that was an algorithm. And they have an algorithm that, like, looks at all of the music that you listen to. Mm-hmm. And so the, the example they gave of, of the way that it may work is, let's say there's song A, B, and C. And you have song A and C in your library. Well, it, the algorithm looks through, like, thousands and thousands of playlists and notices that song A and C are on a thousand playlist with song B. Oh. And so it knows like, okay, well, this playlist has song A and C. It also has song B. Um, and so we can recommend song B to Sarah and mm-hmm. she'll probably like this song. Well, they were talking about how whenever they first rolled out that feature, there was a bug in the uh, algorithm that would actually put songs that you already listen to in the songs you may like playlist and so people would be listening to the playlist and it would um have like you know a song that you already know right in the playlist and so that was an actual bug in the system well once they figured out that that bug was there they took it out and the amount of listens that went into the that the songs you may love playlist dropped like I mean, like a tank, like, like, I can absolutely see that just dropped because there was nothing familiar on the Mm -hmm. playlist. 
and so people stopped listening to it. But whenever there was at least you know a couple songs that they already knew,、mm-hmm. that level of trust one went up in the playlist because they're like, oh yeah, I love this song. Like,、yeah. it, and basically they it, knew it, what to expect from at least a few of the songs, so、mm-hmm. they would give it a chance. Right. Yeah. And and it made you feel like it also made you feel good because you already like this song,、mm-hmm. you already know this song, and so it's like, oh look, I have good taste. I'm so mad because I was ju- this was just happening to me the other day on Apple Music. I was like searching for it's when I found Vance Joy, but I was just searching for new music, and I found that Apple creates a playlist for you of I don't remember what it's called, but it's like songs you love, and it's specifically songs that you have listened to or that are or at least on my playlist that it created. It was songs that I already listened to or that are. In my collection already that I don't typically listen to, but are like the other songs that I always listen to. Every single song on there was a song in my collection, and I was so excited because I was like, "Oh my gosh, I forgot about this song!" And I listened to that playlist because I was like, "Oh, I know I'm gonna、mm. want to listen to these songs, and I know that I like these songs that are in my collection." So I listened to it. Ah,、oh, <laughs> they got me.、Oh, I'm so mad. Another crazy thing that you were talking about earlier, how you hate to be like that, you know, you don't want to be a part of a system. Yeah, no, you don't. Got to get、me. out of the system, even though you obviously do. So I threw it on the ground. <laughs> yep. Um. So I ain't a phone. Isn't that what he said? <laughs> yeah. No, I ain't my- a part of your system. Uh. So they was talking about how there's actually a system、mm-hmm. that they put new songs through, and. Um, so the, it's basically like a focus group is kind of how you would say,、okay. and so they they put these new songs through, and these people that are part of this focus group,、uh, they they score them in whatever way they score them, and there's a certain there it's scored like I don't remember what the highest level is, but any score above sixty five is considered eligible to be a breakout hit. Okay,、um, and that's so that's only a D. That's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which which is interesting that. It did that, but it gave these these songs、um, that that were huge hits in 2015, like Hotline Bling.、Um, oh man, got a 70. The Hills by the Weekend got 71.、Um, Sorry by Justin Bieber got 77. Of course. What do you mean by Justin Bieber got 79? That's the one. Yeah. 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 What do you mean?、Um, and then what was funny is Hello by Adele got a 105. Ooh, but that's not surprising because Adele. Duh. Right, but do you? This is the thing that like I highlighted. Okay. In in this book, <laughs> it says every song on the Twenty One album scored above an eighty. Every every song? single song. Wow, that's shocking because. And the, even what do you mean? Only got a seventy nine.、Mm-hmm. Wow. Every single song, and the、uh, CEO of the company who does the ranking、mm. said, "We've never seen that before, and we've never seen it since. Obviously, since 2015,、wow. it's only been a couple years. But、yeah. as of right now, they、yeah. have not seen an album, every single song above an 80." You know what? I actually, this may be like not the same thing, but I did see an article, and I can't remember what song it was, but it was a song that Adele put out. And there's a specific note that she sings in the song that makes you feel a certain emotion. It's it's like a, a brain thing, and like whatever note that is makes you feel this certain emotion.、Hmm. And it was one of her most popular songs ever, and that's why literally every person ever loved it because she sang that one specific note. 
I can't remember what song it was. I wonder if it was That's off that album, though. Probably. So the thing with all those songs and the reason they were actually like talking about them and why it gave them a certain hit number mm-hmm. um, is because it was talking about how all those were massive hits, but that year there were hundreds of songs that actually scored higher mm-hmm. than all of those songs. Mm-hmm. But it, because what it's saying is above a certain level, catchiness doesn't make a song a monster hit. Exposure does. And so like what we were talking about earlier, how there's probably mm-hmm. tons of songs that, you know, make you feel something or like yeah. are awesome stuff, but they don't, if they don't have the distribution, mm-hmm. if they don't get out there, you never even know about them. Yeah. So it says for every great song that makes it into the charts and has months of airplay, there are a hundred other songs that are just as good, if not better, which is sung by the right artist or with the right marketing would be a smash hit. Mm-hmm. But the point is that every year, hundreds of songs won't become hits. And it will have very little to do with the fact that they weren't catchy enough. But beyond a certain level of songwriting genius, how many times an audience have heard a melody matters more for its popularity than how inherently catchy it is? And so it's just talking about how radio play and, you know, whatever. It's like if if the industry decides it wants Hotline Bling Mm -hmm. to be a hit, it's it's above the threshold of catchiness. So you can't just like pick a crappy song and say, you know, this is if we play good. Barney's, you know, I love <laughs> yeah. you song like a thousand times, people are going to end up loving it. Mm-hmm. It's it's more so that, you know, it, it was already above the the threshold. They had a huge artist sing it, but then put tons of marketing dollars behind it and got tons of radio play behind it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it's already catchy enough, but then they play Hotline Bling on every radio station they put it yeah. on every playlist you know that you're seeing or mm-hmm. whatever and then you heard it 10 times and now you can't get uh you know call yeah. me on your cell phone <laughs> out of your head it's it's sort of like how which i feel i feel like that is a little bit of a disservice to people i mean obviously there's a reason that most of the top I mean, it's because we're a market-driven economy, though. Right. But I feel like it's a little bit of a disservice to people, but to not give them the right or the, the best music. So, for example, it happens in the book industry, too. Like, the New York Times bestseller list is not necessarily the actual best books that are out there right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, the best books that have the best marketing um, and not necessarily the ones that people have read and highly right. reviewed. You I know? mean, that's the thing with all industry is though that's right. a list of the most popular books. Right. The top 40 is the most popular songs. Right. And then the uh, what do you call the like the the dollar amount the m- movies are making. Um, oh, like the box office. Yes, the box office numbers are the most popular movies, not the best ones. Right. Like the ones the Oscar winning movies are typically never the movies that make the most, you know, at the box office, because if they were the best picture would be Transformers every year, (laughs) you know, it's like Transformers and Fast and the Furious, you know, would, would have won best picture of the year because they made the most money. Yeah. But it's like nowhere near like the art of, you know, a lot of people saw those movies, but nowhere near like the artfulness of, of, you know, a best picture winner. I guess you just have to do your own research. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. I mean, it's mostly... This is talking about how to create, you know, we're talking about how how massive hits are made, Mm -hmm. not necessarily how great art is made. True. Different. Sometimes the same. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome whenever things like that align. Yeah. But 
you know, typically it's... You're right. We're more talking about hits. Yeah. Yeah. That, does that make you feel better? It does. Actually, <laughs> it actually does make me feel better. <laughs> Could you tell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it all clicked. It all clicked. Because... This, this, uh, our conversation all came to Sarah realizing that... Yes, because... Hits don't mean art. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Not that I don't like a good hit song, but... Yes. I'm a little snobbish sometimes in my art. I try not to be, but I I am a little bit. I can't help it. So, I mean, I think, you know, this all can culminate to kind of we can leave it with this question, which is at the the end of one of the chapters of Hitmakers is, this might be the most important question for every creator and maker in the world. How do you make something new if most people just like what they know, hmm. is it possible to surprise with familiarity? That is a really deep question. I mean, obviously, I don't know the science behind it because I because <laughs> I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I don't care about science. I like the more mysterious, so I don't really want to know the science behind it. But I feel like if you're just literally true to the person that you are and you put that art in the world, people will appreciate it. And I mean, I mean, I, I think I mean, we all love to believe that, but ultimately I don't think that's true. I think it is. I think like if you can see the person behind the art, if you can see, if we're talking specifically music, if you can see that they are passionate about what they're creating or videos, like we talk about, mm-hmm. like if you're passionate about what you're, what you're creating, Eventually, at some point, people will appreciate it. With okay, yes, with the asterisks, the caveat that it's good. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, obviously. I like, mean, we've seen a a, we've seen a level. lot of passionate people on American Idol. <laughs> yes, obviously, there is a level of um, creativity and artistic ability and talent that uh, goes into it. But we're just assuming that the talent is there, right? Mm-hmm. I think that if you are literally, if you just make what is true to you, people will appreciate, people will hate it too, mm-hmm. but people will appreciate it. Right. Yeah. Because, I totally agree. Because it's, it's art and it's expressing life, whatever that right. is. And I, you are absolutely correct, but it doesn't mean it's going to be a hit. Right. But again, yeah, I don't look at it like what's going to be a hit and what's going to not. Yeah, I, and I don't like, think we do. We don't ever create anything trying to make be a hit. Yeah, be a, a top, you know, whatever. selling top artist. We're just like, we want to make things that are good. Like we obviously have a level of taste and we hope that we can, you know, meet, meet or that exceed taste. that yeah. taste. Um, and we're trying to all do the things that we're passionate about and things mm-hmm. that we love. But they're are very few people that the thing that they're good at, the thing that they're passionate about align one. Right. And then those two things aligning and it being something that is mass marketable. Right. That can be a, a huge hit and in and, and you could be one of the top two percent that makes eighty percent right. of the revenue right. of that industry. It's not likely. Right. You know? I mean Honestly, you have a 98% chance of failure considering right. that the 2% are the only ones who make right. it in that way. I think, yeah, I think... It doesn't mean you can't succeed because you can still succeed right. as an artist, as a musician, a video maker, right. whatever it is, 
in a making a normal lifestyle living like and you can be 100% fulfilled or even but like above average yeah but like we're saying we're talking about like the hits hits. I think um it also with that question like how do you make something new but still like familiar enough I think it also sometimes there is going to be like if you want to be a change maker and like create something new, you're just going to have to stomach the fact that people will hate it mm-hmm. and probably will hate it for a long time. Right. Um, I mean, that's how everything new happens. Yeah. Like somebody comes along like the painter guy that you were telling me about. Mm-hmm. Um, what's his name? Calabot? Something like that. Something like that. He was like the original creator of impressionist art. Um, like he inspired Van Gogh and Monet. Well, he was just a peer of those people. He was like, he he was an up and coming along with Monet. Right. But he inspired them to create their paintings. Mm -hmm. Um, he never got famous or, or made a living from his art. And at that time, everybody rejected impressionist painting. They, they, they basically, the taste level like they they were set aside like that is, that isn't art like right. you can't say that you put that in our museum and say it's art right and he sort of like championed that and fought for it and fought for it for his entire life um never never made it mm-hmm. never became appreciated like van gogh and monet but he's the reason it's around and so i feel like in order to be a change maker, to be a revolutionist, like a, you're going to have to accept that for a long time, maybe a long time, people will hate what you're creating because it's, it's different and it's new. So I think like if you're truly wanting to create something new and put something new on the table, you have to be okay with being hated. And with, especially like with social media now, you have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, or nothing is ever going to change. And you're just going to not create, you're going to create what feels like to you, mediocre art. I mean, that's just how it is. I think you just have to get over the fact that people will hate what you create, but that's the only way you can be a change maker. And that's the only way you can create better, newer. You're not going to make the, like the top hit for that year. Right. But maybe you made the the change that created the entire genre right for you know the next decade mm-hmm. or you know maybe you you know obviously there's some people who are too early yeah. um which is sad um because those sad. people typically aren't the ones who end up getting the recognition right but but eventually they end up being revered for what they did and yeah. what they contributed yeah. and that that is one of the saddest things in life to me um but they're I mean, necessary. I mean, it's kind of like this is uh, a, a bigger scale, right. but it's kind of like Apple in the fact that they are rarely the first to market, right? but they look at what is first to market, they find what it is, they refine it, and they make it what they consider the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they bring the best to the market. Then they get the accolades mm-hmm. of being the revolutionary mm-hmm. whenever in reality, somebody had already brought it to market first right? and it wasn't familiar enough, nor did it have, like we were talking about with, uh, hits being like produced, it didn't have the distribution. It mm-hmm. didn't have the marketing. Mm-hmm. 
But when people like Apple, who is a trillion dollar company, mm-hmm. you know, are able to put something out right. and then they, you know, have all the money to go behind But, you know, it. I think you can also say the opposite, especially specifically about Steve Jobs. He was a revolutionary right. in what he created. The iPod, nobody even knew that they wanted. But they weren't the, or, fir- they weren't or, the first music player to, to market. Yeah, I know. It's, it's revolutionary because, not because of the product, but because they revolutionized the way music was sold. Okay, yes. In the iPod, it's like they did it while producing a product that beat out all the competition. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the better music player, but ultimately we are revolutionizing not the music player. We're revolutionizing the music industry. Yeah, which they did. Right. And he also, I mean, he, he was always like taking things out of the computer before people were ready for it, like the floppy disk and mm-hmm. things like that. Like he was a an actual revolutionary and people hated what he did. Like they, there was so much pushback by the things that he decided to do, right. but he was like, well, you're, this is what you need. They hate, so, they hate the year that it happened. Yeah. But then the next year, whenever everybody follows suit and it becomes familiar, right? it's like, how could we ever live without this thing yeah. or with that old thing, you right. know, or whatever it is. I just think, yeah. I think if you're going to be a change maker or a revolutionary, introduce something new in art. Something maybe not brand new because nothing is actually new anymore. Mm. Every, everything has been created. Everything's but, a remix. That's a good video to look up. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you're going to introduce something that is not familiar. You're you have to accept the fact that people are going to hate it and you just continue on your way. That's just how it is. Yeah. You have to be solid in the fact that you know this is what the world needs. But if you want to make a hit, you can just uh, follow a simple formula. Make sure <laughs> that you already have a huge name behind you mm-hmm. and that you have lots of marketing dollars. Yes. Make sure you write something that is better than average, but it doesn't have pretty, to be Pretty great. catchy. Yeah. And you can make yourself a million dollars. I'll like it, apparently. (laughs) And we'll dance to it all night long. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. Well, that uh, conversation did not end up where I thought it was going to go, but I'm glad it did. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this is pretty much how all my conversations go, though. We start with something, and then I'm like, oh, but what about these 12 other things? Mm -hmm. Oh, well. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening to episode two of deeply curious we're really excited to get this thing going and we uh really appreciate all of your uh feedback and reviews and everything on the first episode um just a reminder um of the things that we love this week um i mentioned moment lenses which are really amazing beautiful lenses that you can attach to your phone um you just buy the case that matches up with your phone and then you can use these really awesome lenses to take beautiful portraits or landscapes or whatever you want. Um, basically just step up your phone photography game and I've been enjoying them. I think you would too. You can get them, uh, at moment, M O M E N T dot Cody mm-hmm. And Sarah was, uh, loving this, this boy. Love this. Simon. <laughs> I'm obsessed. <laughs> it's a great book. It really is. It's a fantastic book. It's a great story. I think it's a story that needs to be told. I feel like it's very inclusive and very self-aware of the type of story and movie that they are. Um, it's a great adaptation. So 
So there's a link to that in the show notes. Would greatly appreciate it if you uh, checked these things out. Um, all of this helps support us as we continue to make these uh, podcasts and these blogs and um, make the content that you guys are enjoying. Um, so thank you guys for tuning in and listening. Um, thank you guys for sharing and subscribing. Um, it's very much appreciated. We'll uh, end this one here and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you.